This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the prudent Simon Belanger and the, the man who carries this podcast network on his back. Doing back-to-backer episodes since I'm only here half the time. Hey, hey, we appreciate you. You're holding it down. The show goes on. Yeah, it was a fun recording. So back-to-back, just did it with Dan for the news and earnings. You will have heard this last Thursday when you listen to this. It was a fun one. If you haven't listened to it, we actually discussed the BIP short report. So for people interested in that, have a look. We had a pretty good discussion. But today, I think it's going to be great. It fits well with Financial Literacy Month in Canada, so uh, we'll be going over what we spend money on, essentially, what our budgets look like. Yeah, we're going to get real personal. In last two episodes, we did a part one, part two of what we have out of our investment portfolios, but here we're going to go in like, how do we actually spend our money? How do we have money left over to aggressively put into the market, deploy into the market, and more importantly... Where we ball out, you know, where, where we will, you know, kind of without compromise spend money because it makes us happy and where we'll like pull back a little bit where we don't find a lot of value or we just try to save a little bit here and there. So we're going to go, we're going to break it down into a few different buckets and it should be good. So we're getting <laughs> deep into the yeah. personal lives of Brayden and Simone today, but uh, we do it for you, the listeners. Yeah, exactly. And then if you stick till the end of the episode, you'll see that I'll be doing an interview with Fei Peng from Zero.com talking about open banking and, you know, some proposed legislation in Canada to get open banking available to Canadians. I think that's been in the work for a couple of years. So for those of you interested in learning about that, stay until the end and you'll have a 10, 15 minute interview I did with Fei. Speaking of spending money, as you can see here, I'm drinking an afternoon Nespresso. And oh, yeah. My girlfriend's got me addicted to these things. Like it's full on crack in here. I'm convinced. I don't know what you do. What do you do for coffee at home? (laughs) We have a machine, but we are like, we refill it pretty sporadically. So we'll go like for three, four months without any Nespresso pods. But for the most part, I do either regular drip coffee, like brewed coffee, or I have a little kind of a container to make homemade cold brew, which I like. Oh, nice. Oh, that's good. Okay, because yeah, I've just been a drip coffee from the coffee maker. I'll just buy like beans from or like I'll buy the ground beans from like Kirkland or something or or whatever, or like some really nice coffee from out west. I like the kicking horse stuff, but I just got into the Nespresso game and I'm fully addicted. So talk about spending money because those those pods are not cheap, bro. Yeah, there's like a dollar fifty two depending on the one. So it's not like yeah. it's cheaper than going to the coffee shop, but it's it more expensive than, you know, brewing your own or even if you have a espresso machine right. that you do on your own. Like the machine might be a bit more expensive, but in the end it'll be cheaper doing that. But it's an in-between. So it's not as it's expensive as a coffee. Yeah, exactly. And I'm fully hooked. So we're we're in now. We're in for the long haul. Uh, Before we get into it on the episode today, I have a quick announcement, a very actually important announcement. It's been a hard decision, but it's it's one that we've made. And I think it's going to be amazing for everyone involved. So this is regarding Stratosphere and FinChat. On November 30th, every single feature 
inside of Stratosphere, all of the financial data, all the terminal, all the graphing, everything, the dashboarding, everything is going to be moving over into FinChat. So you can think of it like Stratosphere plus the AI assistant in one nice interface. Really like it's a one plus one equals three situation. So if you subscribe to Stratosphere before November 30th, uh, we're recording this on November 7th, you'll get bundled in and grandfathered in everything on FinChat. So it's a really good deal. So if you subscribe to either platform before November 30th, you'll get bundled in. It's going to be a good deal. And no worries if you're subscribed to both. We will auto unduplicate your subscriptions for you. So you will not be paying for both starting November 30th. You're already automatically ported over and sometime in the new year, it's a somewhat bittersweet, but exciting time. The Stratosphere brand will actually be retired which is kind of crazy to say, but it, it is a hard decision, but one that we think is the best. So we're rolling with the brand here. One plus one equals three. These things work better together. And I, I recommend if you haven't, and you've been thinking about subscribing to one of them, do it before November 30th. And then also use code TCI for 15% off at checkout. And you'll get, you'll get a great deal grandfathered in when both the platforms merge into FinChat later this month. So Big or maybe if we if we start a new podcast as part of the network, maybe Braden, I'll throw it into the new host for free. We'll we'll try to convince <laughs> him for that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Free free platform. All right, let's get into it. So, will we spend money? I thought today was episode would be awesome for listeners. How we spend, how we save, where we like to ball out, where we pull it back. Both of us are pretty frugal. I would say. I would say money conscious. Remember that conscious conscience discussion last week? We're money conscious. And we've been running an investing DIY podcast. So I think that that's kind of obvious. But I was 18 when I opened my self-directed brokerage account. I'm 28 now. And 17-year-old me being the math nerd and engineering student, doing some quick realization about the wonders of compounding. And how if just a few thousand bucks I could put together each year in the markets, what it could become if I stayed with it and compounded it for decades. And so in April of 2021, which feels, it feels not that long ago and also feels like a lifetime ago, career-wise, I quit my comfy six-figure-a-year engineering job and had to be really smart about my spending. And I'm going to get into that stage of my life as well. The weird kind of relationship I had with money during that time and how I spend money now, uh, now that I don't eat dirt and ramen and what I would recommend to people who are in a similar situation. So without further delay, Simon, you kick us off and then I'll chime in. Let's break this down into kind of our one need slash budget and then two, like kind of a discretionary vibe. Yeah, so I've talked about how we kind of budget, my wife and I. So essentially, we kind of do it in a, I guess, dual fashion, I would say, or kind of break it down that way. So we have our common expenses, so everything that we share. So essentially, our budget, we look at that, and then each pay, or let's just say each month, we 
each put the same amount to cover all of those expenses and then whatever is left we can spend however we see fit so if there's certain things that you know i buy that she may not necessarily agree with or vice versa well it's my you know extra money so i can really do what i want and uh, same goes for her and we found that's worked really well for us we've been together for over eight years now so it's really uh, it works for us i know it's not everyone it doesn't necessarily work for everyone but uh, we actually just updated our budget because i think that's really important especially right now with the cost of living rising so quickly i think at the very most like you should really updating your budget at least once a year probably several times a year uh, to make sure that it's up to date because obviously we've seen like let's just take food right price of food has increased so much that you know you have to factor that in for higher costs now our family budget it's broken down so i did percentages and dollars but i'll just kind of go into dollars here so uh, the top item is our mortgage after that uh, that's 32.50 a month and then our food slash household items that's 1500 dollars a month and then we have our daughter so the expenses that are more specific to her so daycare clothes diapers things like that uh, for those who don't have kids clothes is basically a monthly expense when you have a young child because they grow so quickly out of them um so and i'll later i'll talk about how like we've been able to save some money as uh, some tips and tricks that people can do as well um the next expense is kind of one that's not really an expense, but it is in my view. So it's uh, our emergency fund. So because my wife was on maternity leave for a year, obviously our income dropped because she was on employment insurance. We had money that we set aside, but we had a bit more expenses that we we thought so we had to dip in a little bit in our emergency fund so we're putting a thousand dollars every month to replenish that until we have at the minimum three months worth of expenses to be covered the next one uh, people may put that one with their mortgage of their homeowners but i i like to separate them just because uh, i like each thing kind of group this way uh, property taxes $625 a month all of our insurance costs so we have two cars and our home insurance $510 our car costs obviously I kind of put those separately but the car cost is gas plus repairs because we we don't have any payments on our cars you don't do a do you do a whole lot of driving I don't I don't feel like no you do a, no you, I don't you work from home a lot of the time right so yeah, so I work from home. I mean, we really got a second car because of our daughter yeah. being able to pick her up from daycare. But that's one of the things, right, where people can save money. Like, there's so many people that get caught up in, you know, having the the BMW, Audi, Mercedes, but that can barely afford it. And they have payments and they're struggling to make those payments. The amount of people I see that cannot afford an $1,000 car lease for the fancy oh, yeah. Mercedes, but have the $1,000 car lease for the fancy Mercedes yeah. is out. Like, dude, it's so, so common. Yeah. And we ended up buying a new used car. So it was a 2017 Jetta. Pretty Perfect. low mileage, like I think 110,000 kilometers, pretty respectable for that age. And we paid $13,000 for it. So it was really reasonable overall. Drives quite well. I mean, gets me point A to point B, so I can't complain. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, perfect, dude. That's that's the way to do it, man. Yeah, and then in terms of cost, so Enbridge is around three hundred and fifty dollars a month. That includes because we lease our wa- our water heater and boiler. A boiler is like a furnace. It's just like uh, these old radiators because our house is a bit older. So it's all in like that same bill. So I just put it all in one here. We have two hundred dollars allocated for our dog per month. Obviously, doesn't cost that much because he's you've seen you know his name is Leroy. So you've seen him, he's a pretty small dog and he doesn't eat $200 worth of food a month, but we kind of level off the vet bills and all that. And it that's a reasonable amount for monthly. I was wondering there, I was like, is, is Leroy getting steak tartare every night or what? Like a little no, no. Like <laughs> tuna sashimi for dinner every night? No, he's, he uses a big dog food. The dental for big dogs because he swallows it too quickly if not (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we have uh we have that we also have cleaners that we have once a month we used to have it twice a month but to reduce our expenses we went down to once a month and i do the cleaning the rest of the time we have internet that's a hundred dollars water billing that's a hundred dollars hydro hundred dollars and then we have a budget of 85 dollars per month for streaming services that includes Netflix, Spotify, plus one other service that we use on a rotating basis. So if we want to watch something on Disney+, Plus, we'll have it for one month or two months, whatever. But if we want to watch another show on another streaming service, we have to cancel Disney+, Plus to be able to get that other one. And that makes sure that we actually don't end up you know, paying 150 or 200 bucks in full-on subscription, which I've heard people do because they... They end up like not really keeping track. And, you know, when I talked about that to them, they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like for sometimes we'll never watch like anything else than Netflix for a month or two. Well, you know, just cancel it and resubscribe. If you're watching one series too, like you're not. How many people really watch like multiple series at the same time? Like to me, that is insane. That is that is a psych, psychotic behavior to be watching like multiple shows at the same time. Yeah, and I just don't have time to do that. So, yeah, so that's essentially how it lines up for us. Um, That's kind of our family budget. And then I'll go over what I spend things on the extra money that I have, kind of the uh, Simon budget. (laughs) Yeah, the Simon budget. So so you and your wife kind of, you guys have your your combined budget and then you guys have your own, own piggy banks. That's I, yeah, exactly. I, that's the best way to do it. I mean, I'm not married, so I can't say anything. But th- like, yeah. th- this is the good way to do it. But it probably, to be fair, it probably works best for us because we have similar income. So right. you know, okay. it's not the exact same, but I would say they're like around ten percent of each. So obviously, if you have someone that's making like you know a couple that's making like two hundred kin, the other person like seventy, then maybe you'll want to use a slightly different approach. But for us, it does work right. well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just looking at your list, and I mean a lot of similar items and similar costs too. I mean, I don't, I don't have the the daycare and diapers, but you know, my my girlfriend and I live together, and so we do split a lot of this stuff. Yeah, this is good, man. All right, so I'll go into my kind of basics now list, and then we can, we can go into our kind of discretionary and where we spend, where we save. So first off, you know, I can speak for both of us. We we're both very lucky. That's that's for sure. I think both of us are very grateful. I, I remember the first time too. This is side side topic, but I remember the first time you and I were like, "Yeah, this podcast become pretty big. You know, it's going to do several million listens this year." 
And we knew it was big. We knew we were onto something, but we didn't really know it was a good business until we like got our first ad. Whoa, do you remember what our first ad was? Was it NordVPN? Was it that? I think it, yes, it, it, was, it was, but that was not a, a lot of money. That was our first, no. like, that was yeah. our first taste of like a few dollars. Yeah. But I remember when we signed like our first like four or five month like contract for an ad deal and we're like, dude, this one ad slot's like, you know, almost a, almost worth a hundred grand. Like, whoa. And so I consider myself very lucky, not only on my upbringing, but just the timing of that. Cause when I did leave my job, I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to have to just eat dirt and ramen and be like really frugal. And it was basically the month after you and I realized, dude, we have like a half a million dollar business here from the podcast that we haven't been monetizing. So let's monetize it. And that was a pretty awesome, like, I, I'm so grateful for that bridge that it gave me because I dude, it would have been a lot more stressful if we didn't kind of unlock the value of the podcast at the same time. So, uh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, and it came after. It wasn't an interview we did for one of the guys from uh, Millennial Investing. Yeah, and we, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah shout out to that's Robert. Thanks to him. Yeah, to Rob. They, they'd go. I was looking for his name. Yeah. Didn't sleep much last night, so I'm, I've been looking <laughs> for the terms quite a bit. But uh, yeah, the big shout out to him because we talked to him about his, our numbers and he said, oh, well, you guys could definitely be monetizing that. So that's kind of what kind of woke us up i would say or yeah, yeah me and him were, i was yeah. i was on his podcast and, and by the way i've hung out with him a bunch in person since then in, in berkshire and i think in in austin as well and yeah shout out to him he was just like oh dude like you have a pretty big business here what are you doing and so that was a huge moment for us all right so now into into where we spend money no, none of this is supposed to be some sort of like humble brag by the way it's a show i'm incredibly frugal in some areas to make up for some areas I want to spend a lot of money and then still be able to invest like with like there's there's no compromise on my ability to invest a few thousand dollars a month basically in my DCA plan. And so I grew up what I'd say comfortable. Yeah, but but maybe very comfortable, but certainly not rich. Like I I want that to be like like there's a big distinction. I grew up in Oakville with a lot of very rich people and we were, you know, statistically very comfortable, lived, had a great upbringing, but we were not like mega rich. My parents were grinding and we had this family cottage, which is the thing that I by far cherish the most, but certainly not rich, rich. So every dollar I've earned in the past years has been from my business, this podcast and the two software companies. And I started them with literally nothing, no capital that I didn't get some small loan of a million dollars, you know, like that didn't happen. I didn't know anything. And so I'm also going to do a segment on this on tips for people who want to start their own business and how to manage personal finance as an entrepreneur, because, you know, you get all these tips about how to be an entrepreneur, but you get no tips on how to be, how to do personal finance as an entrepreneur, because they're so different. All right. So rent, we spend $3,400 a month. It's a, nice to sort of like loft. It's not huge, but it's, it's really nice uh, in Toronto. And so dude, rent's just expensive in this city. Insurance is 150 bucks. I own my car, which is nice. I don't drive much. So gas and repairs around 200 bucks a month that goes down to like zero in the winter. Cause I don't go to the cottage and I don't play golf. 
That means my car doesn't leave the garage. <laughs> like literally, like I don't drive downtown. I just do, take transit. So if I'm not driving to the golf course or driving to the cottage, my car can sit doing nothing for months in the winter. And then food, I'd have to audit now because now we're Costcoers. And I have to do some like really kind of audit on how much we're spending, but probably just a little over a thousand bucks a month if you include everything. And then internet and phone, like all this kind of utility stuff, I run it through my company. So I don't consider it onto my personal finances. Now I have two more buckets, which are like discretionary, but what I call non-negotiable. And those items are my gym membership, which I spend 250 bucks a month on. The reason that it's you know more expensive than like a good life, like 40, 50 bucks is there's classes every day that I can go to. And those classes are like heavy lifting nonstop, like a trainer pushing you and you get rocked. And in one hour, I get so much out of it. So I do that. Other health stuff, like I just bought a new pair of lifting shoes. I spend a lot of money on like vitamins, supplements, that kind of stuff. Dude, protein powder? Talk about inflation, man. I just bought a new bucket of protein powder yesterday. I used to buy for 80 or $79 for the five pound Optimum Nutrition chocolate. It's now $129 on Amazon. So... <laughs> and I started shopping around and buy some at Costco. Yeah. Dude, I can't get off this brand. But people <laughs> who are like, you know, no protein, Optimum Nutrition is the best. Travel. So the reason I have this is like 500 bucks a month, but around six grand a year. Now, of course, lucky to be able to do that and stuff and like work from anywhere and travel. But I don't look at that as like, just like I, I this is a, something that I need to spend money on. Like it just, it, it is just provides so much happiness for me. And then my golf membership's like $4,200 a year. So 500 bucks a month for that. Plus, you know, the, the membership plus like other stuff, you know, equipment, clubs, doing some indoor stuff this off season, date nights and gifts, roughly like 150 bucks a month if you, if you average it all out. So that's in the non-negotiable bucket. And then the discretionary bucket of going out like 300 bucks a month, dinner, bars, concerts, cottage toys, which is around 10 grand a year. You know, I bought a Sea-Doo this year. I bought it used, but like filling up the, the boats, the gas in the boats, just stuff up there. And then clothes. I don't spend a whole lot, man. I, I buy most of my clothes from Winners and the workout stuff I buy from Lululemon. So I really don't spend that much money on clothes. So you work that out to around seven and a half-ish grand a month, but some of it is offset by my girlfriend. No, that's good. I mean, you went more detailed than I did on on some of them. So uh, good for you. I'm going to say I was surprised by the cottage toys, 10K a year. They're expensive. Huh? <laughs> my CD was uh, 12 and a half grand, but it had like almost no... It was used. You're amortizing it uh, over several years. So you're using uh, accounting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm using some uh, straight line depreciation here. No, the reality is, is that there's just like stuff up there that you like. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't want, uh, yeah. Like when we, when I, when I have my buddies come up and we spend a bunch of money on the boat and filling up gas and stuff, I don't want to just like have my parents soak that. 
<laughs> don't want to do like uh, you know you're first starting to drive and like oh yeah sorry the car is uh, needs to be filled after you've used it for like five hours yeah. yeah yeah you just leave it on empty every time like yeah such a scumbag move no so i mean yeah i went in a little bit more detail but i wanted to break it out into like things that are kind of discretionary and then what i'll call like discretionary non-negotiable no, that's good. That's good. For me, I mean, so in terms of the Simone budget, first thing is I always pay myself first. So I have a set amount that I put towards my investment for investing every month. Obviously, this is excluding my DC pension with work. That's an automatically. So on top of that, I want to do a minimum of $500. Usually it's much more than that. But just depending if, you know, something a bit unexpected, I don't want to dip into the emergency fund, for example. So the strict minimum is 500 but i would say on average it's probably between a thousand to fifteen hundred that i put in my savings every month uh last couple months was a bit less again just coming back my wife returning to work she was on mat leave with employment insurance so a lot more was kind of depending on my salary towards the uh, last few months and having a kid is pretty expensive so daycare starts and stuff like that so you know, there's some more expenses. So that's a minimum of 500 a month. But like I said, I'll typically put more than that. Clothes, I try, I don't buy clothes very often. And typically when I do, uh, I will buy, you know, I'm good. I'm okay with paying for good quality. I don't really care for brand names as long as it's good quality. So that's why I do buy a lot of my stuff at Lululemon. It's not the cheapest, even my work clothes, but you know, the stuff I have, this hoodie I have on from Lululemon, I probably have had it for like four or five years now and I still wear it. So I don't mind paying more if I know it's going to last and that's how I view things. And I, I would say on average, that's probably 150 a month if I average it out. And then the last thing that I really spend a lot of extra money on, it's hard to say the actual amount. I'd probably would say like, I don't know, four or 500 bucks a month on average. So it would be mountain biking. So for those who are into mountain biking, it's not cheap. Mountain bikes, I you mean... You and I they... like our expensive hobbies. Yeah, exactly. So just so people understand, like let's say you have a $3,000 road bike. Well, if you want the same level of mountain bike, you're probably looking at like $5,000 plus just because of the suspension is quite expensive on mountain bikes. So yeah, it is expensive and the other thing with mountain bikes is you end up doing some pretty rough terrain so stuff breaks more often than a road bike so you have to repair by re replacement parts and recently i bought a new front suspension a fork because my old one was busted i could have had it repaired but the new one is actually helps the angles and actually makes my back more comfortable so i ended up spending twelve hundred dollars plus tax on the new suspension so should have done it a while back because it is comfortable for my back but it's something that you know like I'm I'm happy to do at the end of the day when I go mountain biking it's the the one thing where I and I'm assuming it's the same for you when you're golfing where I kind of forget about anything else I'm just solely focused on that I just you know it's kind of nice to disconnect no screens just no yeah. screen yeah I'm with you man I'll usually have some music but if you've people who have done mountain biking before, if you're distracted, you're not going to have a good time because you're probably going to end up crashing. And I like the adrenaline that it gives me. So I, I'm more than happy to pay and do that sport because I find it does 
you know, it just mentally, it's just great for me. That's, that's the easiest way to put it. No, it's so true, man. Like the times when it's just like me and my buddies out on the golf course, no phones, like there's only a few, you got to find the few places where you're able to like, not even have, like not think about other stuff, you know, and just focus on the people that you're with and those four hours on the course, like I just forget that I even have a cell phone and, and yeah. that's like the best feeling like someone who's, you know, I'm in software. So I'm literally staring at a computer screen all day long. And then, you know, there's so many distractions, your phone's going off and I'm always listening to music or podcasts in my ear. It's just kind of like never ending. Right. So you need, you need something where you forget those things exist because as much as those magical devices are in your pocket, like they can create a lot of stress if you're always on them. Uh, and they're designed to do that with these applications, man. Like the constant news cycle, the like constant uh, comparing yourself to others. It's th- these things are literally meant to do that. These algorithms are built to make you feel bad and keep coming back for more. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, I think I encourage everyone to find whatever it is for them. And, you know, I understand some people may have very limited amount of time, but I I do believe that it's worthwhile, even if it's just an hour or two a week to do whatever that activity is that lets you disconnect from everything, whether it's yoga, meditating, another kind of sport, an activity, pottery, whatever it is for you. There's some pretty low cost things that you can do as well, but just find what it is. And I find I'm more productive after mountain biking, for example, because I'm kind of, I feel refreshed. So definitely encourage everyone to, to find whatever it is for them. So I'm doing this two workout a day thing right now. And you know, yeah, it's really hard. Like it's kind of draining <laughs> and demanding, obviously, but like you get so much energy after, like I do some of my best focus time right after a workout. You know, once I've kind of like showered, got cleaned up, feel good and yeah. back to back to work. Like that, those are some of my best focus times. All right. So let's, um, this is going to the how I save part. So the overarching theme is... I don't buy stuff and a stuff is in like quotations and in brackets because a lot of people acquire stuff and I don't care about material luxury or what I'll just call stuff or crap. I drive a pre-owned used Nissan SUV that I bought for pennies on the dollar. I don't care about fancy watches fancy shoes, buying bottles at a club, like an absolute chump. Pre-drink. Just pre-drink. That's the most cost-effective. By the way, my young kings who are listening to the podcast, my my young, my young distinguished gentlemen listening to the podcast, don't buy bottles at a club. Just if you're, if your friends like doing that, don't go like just go and don't go in the booth and you'll have way more fun. You'll like, you know, <laughs> I think young, I think young men go do this because they think that there's some sort of like flexing or status or like thinking that they'll like attract women. It does the exact opposite. So my young king, do not buy bottles like an absolute chump. All right. Remember that for next time. Buying bottles at a club makes you a chump. All right. Designer clothes. Don't care. Flexing material stuff. 
don't care. Like if that stuff makes you happy, don't let me be the one to tell you that, you know, it shouldn't. But for me, that stuff doesn't actually not make me happy. It makes me miserable. And so I rarely eat out at fancy restaurants. And this is like a, you know, anniversary or like some sort of like milestone or celebration. Those those things are actually better when they're done less frequently because then they're more memorable. And on travel, although like I make sure I always budget for travel, I travel pretty on the cheap if I can. Like I'd rather go see more places and stay longer or do working vacations like I did for Costa Rica this year and stay in some basic bare bones, you know, just no frills type place than fancy hotels. Because that's where you can really like destroy your travel budget. Whereas like a place for a hundred dollars a month won't necessarily materially make your play, make your, your, your trip worse than a place that's 600 a night at the Fairmont. You know, like I don't see a lot of value in that. You know, it's just a bed at the end of the day. The, the stuff you want to go see is outside of the hotel room. Like I traveled for four months with only a backpack and not a lot of money. So I, I've learned how to, how to spend and when to save and things that I find worth spending money on when you are on the road. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So really quick, health, golf, travel, these things I like, you know, I spend a lot of money on. I didn't have a lot of this in the budget, especially like, you know, the expensive gym membership and all this stuff, even just 18 months ago. So, you know, it's come along, it's come a long way. Like these are things you can kind of look forward to as you increase and scale your income as like things that you don't, you want to spend money on and not compromise, but make sure you pick what you design as like, I think it's the Netflix show. What is your rich life? Like if, if you design kind of like in five years from now, and I'm making X amount of money, what are the things that I'm I'm not going to want to compromise. I am going to spend a lot of money on. For me, it's those things. And it's not the least Mercedes Benz, right? Like, so just figure out where you want to not compromise and where you want to pull back. And I think that that's the recipe, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah, yeah. And I think it varies, obviously, for everyone. But I think one thing that I've, as I've gotten older, I'm just, you know... I really think about myself in terms of like what makes me happy, you know, and when I was younger, I was more concerned. And I think especially when people are teenagers, you're more concerned with other things uh, about you. But at the end of the day, I've always, you know, as I got older, I'm like, look, they can think whatever they want about me as long as, you know, I don't care. It really doesn't impact you. I think that's (laughs) that's the way I see things now. And so many people are concerned with what other things and then they end up making these bad financial decisions just to impress them. And I think a lot of people get themselves in trouble because of that. No, totally right. Like never underestimate like it's the LVMH investment thesis. Never underestimate people's willingness to spend money they don't have to impress people they do not know. That's the LVMH investment thesis. Never underestimate that. But if you can break out of that is where I think that you actually have a good time. 
Yeah, exactly. And now in terms of, I just wanted to add a few more points for where we've found some savings in our budget. And I know it's not possible for everyone. You know, I'm not gonna necessarily, you know, brag about us cutting our Disney Plus subscription, <laughs> you know, as certain politicians have done in the past. <laughs> Do you Wait, remember someone that? someone bragged about that? Yeah, so obviously I'm just joking around and we don't get into politics, but when inflation was really high, Christy Freeland was like, oh, even our family, we're, like, we're cutting expenses. We just Try to make yourself like Disney. a commoner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just, we just cut our Disney Plus subscription and she got a lot of flag because people are like, we're having to choose between like heating our home and food and stuff <laughs> right. like that. Yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it was... Yeah, definitely not. Um, Dude, you well can't put. win. I don't know why anyone would want to be holding any of those jobs. You can't win. Oh, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You get roasted for canceling your Disney Plus subscription. That sucks, dude. Uh, You know, whether you like those people or not, like that's that's just shitty to be in a position like no matter what you say, you get roasted. No, exactly. I mean, obviously, I think there's ways that people can save and I'll just go over some of the things that work for me. And I'm like I said, I like you said earlier, I'm really fortunate that I'm in a situation where I can, you know, still enjoy all the things that I want. Yes, I may have to reduce slightly expenses, but I'm still eating the same kind of stuff. So there's no impact there. First thing, going less often to restaurant and ordering in via like something like Uber Eats. We still do it from time to time, but definitely less often because I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, especially like if you order food, like it pretty commonly like ends up being over a hundred dollars for two people. Which is just, I mean, I know food has gone up in prices, but that's just crazy in terms of one meal when you can probably find, you know, cook a meal yourself when you can have like a full meal of between 5 and $10 per person. So you're saving a whole lot of money by not going to a restaurant or ordering from Uber Eats or, you know, DoorDash, whichever one it is. Especially if you go out and they flip over the iPad and it's eight, the lowest percentage tip on a highly inflated bill is, is 18% on the total amount. Like you're not going out for two people to eat for less than $100. So you're just not. No, you're no, exactly right. You're not. Like I... I don't know why if you if you are you're at McDonald's like literally yeah, and I think a lot of people have done that too. Is a good tip too if you want you still like to go to a restaurant once in a while. Well, have you considered going for breakfast more? Because breakfasts are less expensive, and especially or brunch, depending on the brunch, but breakfast definitely and sometimes lunch are less expensive than dinner. So that's a way where you can still enjoy going out for to the restaurant, but still reducing the bill a little bit. I've seen, I've heard a lot of people doing that. Have you? I've no, I've never heard of that, but I think that's a good point. Like going out for brunch is a lot cheaper and dude, I could smash some waffles and pancakes, eggs all in one meal is one thing I really like about going out for breakfast because I, I, we can make all those things, but I never make them all at the same time. So when I go out for brunch, oh, dude, I smash all of them at the same time. It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. And now the second thing is, again, this could be 
you know, it may not be accessible to everyone. So going, we try to go to Costco once a month to buy household items and food, obviously for food, like frozen food, non-perishable, but also produce that we know that we'll eat quickly because obviously there's pretty big quantities at Costco. Toilet paper, paper tissues, obviously diapers for the baby. Uh, we found we save quite a bit of money by going to Costco versus uh, stores that are nearby. So it's definitely worth the trip. And I guess the biggest tip here is just make sure you have a list because it's really easy to uh, to buy stuff you don't really need at Costco. So make sure you have a list and you stick to it. Uh, minimize food waste. So if you can't go to Costco, that's fine. Try to minimize food waste because if you're not throwing much stuff away, by default, you'll probably end up saving some money. And a lot of people, I know we've done it ourselves, is you kind of forget that something's in the refrigerator and then two, three weeks later, you're like, oh yeah, that's not good anymore and you have to throw it out. So whatever that item was, five, ten dollars, whatever it is, you know, you could have saved that if you've eaten it before it went bad. So that's an easy way. Another one would be like something like Dollarama. So if you don't have the flexibility to go to Costco, Dollarama can actually offer some decent value on a lot of items in smaller packages, especially for those who are single. Obviously, setting a max streaming budget like I talked about. If you, there's a subscription that I want to try, oftentimes you'll get deals like try it for three, 30 days, uh, 60 days, whatever it is. I will try it, but I'll cancel it right away. So that way it doesn't auto renew when it ends the, the deal. So most of them will allow you to do that. So you sign up. You get the free 30 days and then you cancel right away. If they don't allow you to do it, just put a reminder a day before on your phone. So that way you'll you'll be able to go and, you know, subscribe again if you do want to and find it useful. Again, buying a car, I would say look at used option versus a new car that can save you a whole lot of money, especially now with prices of used cars actually going down. And the last couple of things here, if you have babies buying used toys and clothes for babies, that's definitely a really good option. Clothes, it will vary. Some of them are not cheap to use clothes, but baby toys are super cheap if you buy them used. And the big question I always ask myself is, do I really need it? Because oftentimes I'll find that when I ask that question, either I don't really need it or I have something already that does it just fine. I don't need to have the most up-to-date thing. Yeah, I think that that's a good call. Like, I forget what the rule of thumb is I was listening to a podcast the other day and he's like, if I can't, if I can't use it or enjoy it, there's a third thing. It's a really good framework for, for kind of spending money because the things that cannot be like used, worn or enjoyed, I think that's what it is. Used, worn or enjoyed. Like, what do they do for you? <laughs> you know, like some shiny, like, and, and again, if, if you like fancy watches, that's your thing, then go for it. Uh, you know, but like, for for me, it's it really has to have a lot more utility than that. <laughs> I won't be able to know the time unless I have a Rolex on my hand. Uh, <laughs> I have an Apple Watch, which I bought used for 250 bucks last year. Oh, boy. An Apple Watch 7 from a friend because she's a personal trainer and gets it, you know, passes it as an expense every year. So she always uh, gets true. the newest one. She's like, and I know nice. her well. She's like, 
yeah, it's just like if you wanted 250 and they were still selling for like 500, 450, 500 bucks a piece. So that's that's another way you can, you know, you can get something that you need. And I use the Apple Watch all the time. Yeah. I use it for all my workouts. I track every single one on it. Uh, bro, Facebook Marketplace is awesome. If you want to yeah. grind, you know, it's a little bit of elbow grease and you have to deal with some wacky people sometimes but dude <laughs> facebook marketplace is legendary if you know what you're doing you can get some sick deals all right we got two more segments here before the interview we'll fly through these uh, i have a really short one on advice for those who are thinking about starting their own business so for my opinion you need to do one of two things you need to on day one have raised capital in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars probably US from investors, family, friends, or angels on day one, or be able to not pay yourself for 16 months and be okay. That's how long it's realistically going to take to figure out traction, have paying customers, have some resemblances of product market fit and be able to like scale your team. Because guess what? You're going to eat last in terms of pay. I paid myself up until last year, $27,000, bro. Like that's not a living wage. Everyone's making way more money than me at the company. You eat last. That is the, that is what happens because you have the upside. So you eat last. And so you got to be able to sustain that long. Cause that's how long it's going to realistically take, or you have raised outside capital from day one and sold a bunch of equity. So I think it has to be one or two. I don't know how you don't because say you only have a six month emergency fund to be, to go off and do this. You're probably not going to have any sort of real traction product and sustainability until the following months after that. I think at the 16 month point, you'll have enough of what I talked about before or know enough that it's not working and make the hard decision to quit. So that's why I that's why I picked that number. Or you'll be one of those people on Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or whatever that have been doing the same business for like five years and it's barely been working oh, and they do not want to quit. Yeah, yeah. It's always it's it's actually heartbreaking when you look at them because it's like it's so obvious to everyone but maxed them. out credit cards yeah yeah they've used they tapped out their their home equity if they have a house like they've used all their life savings and they just keep going thinking that the next five years will be different than the last five or ten whatever it is yeah it's that's the worst situation right like of, of or, or option three do this for so long it doesn't work and and be failing slowly is the worst. <laughs> that's that's worse than any of the other options. So uh, I, I think 16 months is a good rule of thumb. I know that that's a really long time to not have an income. And if you crush it and you guys find product market fit in the first six months, beautiful, amazing, perfect. But that's just kind of what I think about is realistic. And if you don't give yourself enough time then you won't have enough real, you won't have a learned enough and iterated enough in the market to figure out where the problem is and where you exist. So, well, I mean, that's I what it took for the podcast too, right? It took yep. us about 18 months to start monetizing. And we probably could have done it a bit sooner had we known better, but it was still a pretty nascent industry. But that's, I would say, yeah, that was kind of the mark. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Last one. Last, yeah, this I'll make super quick. I had a bit more detailed notes, but, you know, we talked about emergency funds. You mentioned six months. I said, you know, we have to get ours back to at least three months. We're not quite there yet. If you have cash and you need to have cash, get some interest on it. A lot of the big banks, they kind of sell these like high interest savings account that give you like barely one or 2% or they'll have this kind of promotional introductory offer for like three months at 5% and then it drops to 1%. It's not hard to get 5% now on cash. So if you do have cash, there are safe ways to invest it and getting at least 5%. So whether you do a ladder GIC, cashable GICs, or a money market fund that technically is a bit more risky because they're not insured like CDIC, like a GIC would be, regardless, there's really no reason why you can't get 5% or at least at least at the very least 3%. I think that's if you want a more traditional savings account, I think you can get that pretty easily. If you're below that, you're missing out and that's free money that you're not you're not getting. And especially if you have it in a TFS, if you have extra room, a lot of room to be able to park a little bit of cash there for an emergency fund, then it's tax-free. If not, it adds to your income, but still, it's still additional income. No, I think that that's a great point. Like, dude, this is a, finally an opportunity to get some interest on your cash. Like, dude, my whole lot, you know, I just talked about this, you know, I opened my brooch account. I'm 18. I'm 28. Now I have lived in a era of accepting that you don't get returns on cash. And that's changed now for the first time in my investing career. And for many people, because, you know, it's basically been since, uh, you know, Oh six, Oh seven, right. Roughly. Before yeah. rates flew down, so for most, like based on our analytics, like good amount of the listenership as well. No, no, exactly. So I think that that kind of wraps it up for a little uh, financial literacy month uh, episode. And uh, you know, stay tuned, keep listening if you want to learn more about open banking and what it could uh, offer in terms of future for banking services in Canada. It's not a long conversation, and Faye uh, was great at answering my question. I do encourage people to listen to it because I was somewhat familiar with it, but I uh, it was a great discussion just uh, to ask her some question and some of the concerns that I think some people have. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. We appreciate you. And we are here Mondays and Thursdays. This is kind of wrapping up our you know, deep dive into our personal portfolios and how we spend money. We are back with the usual investing content, deep dives. I was thinking we got to look back into a bunch of names on our, on our watch list that I've been I was looking at like, if I just bought the stocks on from my watch stocks on my watch list segment over the last two years, I would be heavily outperforming and I own none of them, of course. <laughs> like, do you remember uh, Winmark? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the played against sports. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Plato's Closet. Dude, that stock has been ripping, absolutely ripping and very recession proof. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye bye. So I'm here today with Fei Pang from Zero Canada, I believe, right? That's, uh, I think, you're the Canadian division. How are you today, Fei? I'm doing great, Simone. Thank you for having me. 
Well, you know, it's my pleasure. And the reason I have you here today is to talk about open banking. But before, you know, we start about open banking, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about Zero? I kind of, I wasn't super familiar with it. So I browsed a little bit and it sounds like you, your company is kind of trying to compete with uh, Intuit in terms of QuickBooks. Do I have that correct or? Yeah, so you're, you're right in the sense that we are a small business platform. So Zero uh, was founded 17 years ago in New Zealand, and today it serves over 3.7 million small businesses around the world. So our aim through uh, you know our accounting platform is really to help those small businesses and their advisors, such as accountants and bookkeepers, uh, better manage their business. Right. So ultimately, that's our vision: is to help small businesses not just survive, but but thrive. Oh, that's great. Definitely have a look into it because uh, we are a small business. Uh, so that's definitely interesting. But obviously, the main purpose here is to talk about open banking. Um, so for those not familiar with open banking, I know a little bit about it. Uh, I had heard about it quite a few years ago and then did a bit more research for this interview. But do you want to sum it up for our listeners that wouldn't be aware of what it is and some of the potential benefits uh, for them as well? Yeah, for sure. And I think the I'll probably start off by saying open banking probably needs a bit of a rebrand. It's a, a pretty scary term. You know, when you ask Canadians, they're like, I don't want my bank to be open, right? I want it to be closed and secure. But ultimately, the idea is open banking is around the notion of your financial data being shared between bank, your bank, and third-party service providers, often referred to as, as fintechs, through APIs, right? So historically, uh, banks have seen that data as their data. But open banking is about putting the power and the control back in the consumer's hands and saying, actually, no, that's the consumer's data. So if they want to share it with another service that they're paying for, whether it's an accounting platform or a credit scoring platform, they should be able to do that. And they should be able to do that safely, securely, and without hassle. Okay. okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, it's all good. I was just going to talk a little bit more about some of the benefits of open banking, Simone, if you think about it. And by the way, this is a regime that has been launched in other markets, such as the UK now since 2018. So we have a pretty good crystal ball about some of the benefits that can occur. When you think about it from a consumer perspective, right, it gives you access to a wider range of services, right? It allows you to have one service talk to another and provide you with more choice, more options, lower fees. Canadians pay some of the highest fees in the world today when it comes to our banks, right? And so really, the notion of open banking for a consumer is giving them more choice, giving them more options, and ultimately, um, putting that power back in the consumer's hands. I can speak for small businesses as well, right? And so the example I uh, I might share with you is a world where a small business has their bank or multiple banks that they bank with interacting seamlessly in real time with their accounting software, right? So that data is now coming into their accounting software that small business and their account or bookkeeper can aggregate, analyze, and make decisions off that in real time. And that can flow to another app that's accessing that data to say, well, does that small business need access to capital? How might we fund that? What invoices are outstanding and how might we use that data to tell, you know, how apt they might be for a loan or a micro loan, right? So the notion that all of these things are speaking to one another in real time is really powerful when you think about a small business owner having real-time access to their data, insights, and then ultimately like more tools and resources to make them successful. 
Okay, so am I correct thinking that it would allow essentially third-party fintechs to be able to gather information from banking institutions here in Canada and be able to yeah, offer you better services potentially because of that? Is that the gist of how it would work? Yeah, it's a, gr- it's a great summary, Simone. And I-, I would even say it's not just about fintechs getting information or data from banks. It's even about banks getting data from other banks. Right. What we see in our data is on average, you know, Canadian small businesses are using two and a half plus banks, right? So they're they're diversifying their own portfolio and who they're leveraging. This would allow those banking institutions to actually benefit from from that and have more information on their shared customer to be able to tailor their offerings. Okay, that's interesting. And in terms of whenever I think about third party or having more, you know, people involved with my data or my business's data, there's always kind of that, I guess, reflex for me for, okay, well, is it going to increase security risk, potential information breaches, because you have another party involved, not that there's no risk with the current system, if you even if you have a bank, I mean, we've seen uh, financial institution, you know, have security breaches as well. But just that additional layer, is there an increased risk? Am I kind of correct of seeing that? Like, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a bit of a commonly held misconception. It might help for me to share with you how things are today, right? So in the absence of open banking in Canada, what we have is millions of Canadians are using third-party credential sharing, commonly known as screen scraping today. It's an imperfect solution, ripe with its own security issues and challenges. Um, I have many accountants and bookkeepers that we work with here at Zero that tell me, oh, I just have my client's password and login here because that's the they, they trust me with that as a way to get access to their information, right? Talk about security risk and concern. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of those rare instances where actually the entire fintech community is asking for regulation. And we're saying, hey, we want open banking. We want a really clear set of standards so that we're all singing from the same song sheet and, and operating in that way. And that's going to actually offer more security, right? More consistency for the Canadian consumer. So commonly held misconception. It's actually done right. Open banking, again, we can point to the UK. You know, to my knowledge, no major breaches in the five years since they've launched open banking. And what it's done is it's offered this platform for innovation and customer benefit as a result of it. Yeah, and I'm over here. So when I was doing my research for this interview, um, I, you know, just search a little bit and I'm on this federal government website that is touting the benefits of open banking. So just my question. So why don't we have open banking in Canada right now? What's, you know, what are the next steps? I know I think there's been a big push to, to get that ahead in Canada. I think Australia is also a country that implemented it in recent years. So um, sorry, it's a pretty big question. So I'll just let you answer. So yeah, why don't we have this in Canada just yet? Yeah, so it's um, probably the question of the hour, Simone. Uh, there, there are people that have been working both in the fintech and um, financial institution space on this file for north of five years. And Canada is one of the last OECD countries to not have an open banking regime in place. So suffice to say, there's quite a bit of frustration in the system right now around why we don't have open banking. The government commitment had been to release guidance at the start of this year that has been delayed. And so there's really a confluence of factors, right, in terms of prioritization and where the file sits. I don't want to get too deep into some of the nitty gritty on the government side, but suffice to say, there's very clear alignment amongst all parties that we need to move forward with this and actually more 
agreement than disagreement around what some of those standards might need to look like, you know, some of the like governance that needs to be put in place. And we have the benefit of markets like Australia, Brazil, the UK that have really shown us the way here. And so at the end of the day, it feels like we just need to get on with it, release the, the guidance from the group and actually just start implementing open banking in Canada. There have been some recent announcements in the last week, the US, you know, that was a pretty hard fought file for many years. And they've, in some ways, leapfrogged Canada recently by announcing open banking set of standards and guidance that they want to implement, asking for consultation over the next few months. Um, but they'll, they'll have a system before we do. Um, despite the fact that in many ways we've been working at it longer than they have. So there's an element of, you know, needing to just get on with it um, versus trying to, to build the, the perfect system here in Canada and really favoring progress over perfection. Yeah, the U.S. is an interesting one. I, I had noticed that they were working on it, but wouldn't it be like very uh, quite defeat in the U.S. when you're considering just the sheer amount of volume of financial institution? Because we're, you know, I think everyone knows at the point Canada is very concentrated in terms of banking. So I've, you know, I, maybe my last question is if the U.S. is doing it, why can Canada do it even quicker if, you know, there's less moving parts? That would be my outsider perception on that. Yeah, you, you'd think that would be the case. and But that being said, they are moving faster than we are. So just last week, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, released its draft rule effectively around open banking. So establishing personal financial data sharing and protections. It's a really detailed framework. In fact, here at Zero, we're still sifting through you know all 300 pages to understand exactly how that's going to play out, but addresses a lot of things that I touched on already and will serve to really turbocharge um, their progress in this space. So our hope is that it's a bit of a wake-up call for um, the Canadian players to say, hey, if the U.S. can do it, to your point, much more complicated market in a lot of ways, you know, we should be able to do it too. Okay, no, that's great. And if people want to learn on more on open banking, some, you know, some resources, are there any things you can share with our listeners? And, you know, if they do want to, uh, you know, voice their opinion, whether they're for or against that, I'm assuming more most people would be for that. But what steps can they take? Yeah, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you know, my encouragement would be don't be overwhelmed by this notion of open banking. Fundamentally, it is about your data being your data. And I think we can all agree that, you know, that is that is a really good thing. Um, so if you want to learn more about open banking, perhaps we can link in the comments of this podcast, Simone, the website that you're referring to, which is the federal government website on what is open banking. It's got some really nice detail in there around everything that we've touched on today. The other website I'd point listeners to is choosemoreforyourfuture.com. This is a campaign that uh, Zero was part of it. We recently released it in concert with Fintechs Canada, which is a consortium of financial tech providers across the country, uh, such as Flinks, Wealthsimple, EQ Bank, Borowell. We've all come together to urge the government to action. And so if you go to that website, there's a lot more information about some of the benefits of open banking and an opportunity for you to email your MP and get them to understand that this is a, a topic that really matters to you. So I encourage you to check out that website as well. Well, this is great. Well, thanks a lot for uh, joining us, Faye. And uh, hopefully people will just learn more about it, pique their curiosity. And, uh, you know, from my understanding, I do hope that we move towards that sooner rather than later. Uh, but it was great having you on the podcast. Thanks again. Thank you, Simone. Thank you for having me. 
The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.